This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Big Wednesday pod. Only two of us today, Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird. Stephen Means on vacation, and we're going to dive in to try to get a handle on just how important Justin Fields is to the Ohio State Buckeyes. And how are we going to do that? We're going to trade him to everybody else Ohio State might play and everybody else in major college football that could beat Ohio State. And this is the idea. And it was brought up by a tech subscriber many moons ago, and I can't find the original question from the tech subscriber. It was so good. Again, if you sent it, you know it. We love you. Thanks for the idea. It's just the idea of if basically if you put Justin Fields on another team, and we're going to do it with every team in the Big Ten and some national teams, and Ohio State got their quarterback, who would win? And then we might throw in some wrinkles. Well, what if Ohio State's backup? What if they'd rather play C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller or Gunnar Hoke than the quarterback they're getting? How would that affect it? But is try to get a handle on just how important a great quarterback is to a great team. And, Nathan, I go back and forth on this, which is why I think this is a worthwhile exercise. On one hand, over the course of my 15 years doing this, there have been lots of times where I sort of think, well, you know what? You're surrounded by such talent. You have skill guys to throw to. You have a great back to hand it to. You have an offensive line that blocks for you. You have a defense that gets three and outs. You know, the quarterback is set up to succeed here. And I think we can go through some examples in recent Ohio State history that would prove that. Yet, on the other hand, in, this, in the next moment, I can look at it and be like, man, if they didn't have a really good quarterback, they might have lost four games that year, or at least two, or they sure as heck wouldn't have been the team that they were because quarterback obviously is so important. Did you find yourself in trying to work your way through this exercise at all pushed and pulled by those two sort of divergent thoughts? A little bit, yeah. And to some, in some ways, this was an extension for me of a little bit of the conversation we had in Market Down Monday where I seemed to be a little bit um, – more pessimistic of Ohio State's chances of being really great this year if they didn't have Justin Fields. or if, if, if losing Justin Fields meant no chance at a national championship, I seem to be faster to get there than, than you guys were. Maybe I'm misreading that. Um, but, and so, like, considering that, 
there was on one hand where I wanted to say that some of these opponents just flipping the quarterbacks might be enough to give the other opponent the other hand, but the upper hand. But then I would sit back and look at it and say, well, wait a second, how much better is Ohio State at the start of the day than all of these teams? And would the quarterback alone? I mean, does Justin Fields really take over games? I think that's something that we've been waiting to see him maybe do more in 2020. It's something you specifically have talked about. Like that's kind of his transition, right? From being this like efficient, um, skilled, precise, dangerous guy, but dangerous in, in maybe um, spurts to being a guy who is the presence is just there more at all times. Like you just kind of feel him being the quarterback of the game in a different way. It, it, that was kind of maybe going to be the development for 2020. Um, but even if that is, so even if that happens, is that enough to swing the, the gap between Ohio state and some of these other teams? Um, and ultimately I think I probably leaned more on the side of no, but there's a couple of these, there are a couple of these questions, a couple of these matchups where I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of thinking about it as we get into it. It's funny. It's it, the most, the most interesting teams almost are the teams that are pretty solid and competitive and have kind of a lousy quarterback because you're almost like, then it's like, okay, Ohio state, you've got to play with this quarterback, right? That there are some of these teams like we'll do, Cle but like Clemson's not the point here. Cause it's like, well, Clemson doesn't need Justin Fields. They already have a great quarterback. More of the point is like these, these programs, especially in the big 10 that are fighting and scraping and trying to get to eight and four. And if you parachuted Justin Fields into their worlds, what a game changer it would be. And at the same time, if then you gave their average quarterback to Ohio State, how much would change for Ohio State? And so that's why we'll, we'll maneuver a little bit with the parameters to try to get at some of this. And I have some historical stuff I want to reference because part of the issue, Nathan, is that's strange with this is how often does Ohio State have an average quarterback? That... On one hand, it's like, well, let's take Justin Fields off this team. And then you're like, okay, well, just put in the next good quarterback. Because if they didn't have Justin Fields, they would have a different good quarterback. So it's almost uh, – I said when we were talking about the parameters, I said let's just have a wizard wave a magic wand and, and flip-flop the quarterbacks. Because actually if we're in the real world and we say, okay, you give – Justin Fields to Rutgers and you give Rutgers quarterback to Ohio State, what would happen? And it's like, well, like that would never happen. Ohio State would never end up with a quarterback as bad as the Rutgers starting quarterback. So that's sort of part of the issue here. That's a little bit fun. Um, but I did go back in history and I will say, I mean, the very rare times. And again, for instance, and we'll get into this, you know, JT Barrett's not even in the NFL. JT Barrett's going to get through. JT Barrett will never take a snap in the NFL. But he was a very productive winning quarterback at Ohio State because he was the kind of quarterback that Urban Meyer wanted. He had a lot of the traits that Urban Meyer wanted. Maybe there were there certainly were more skilled guys, but I'm not sure Urban Meyer would have traded JT Barrett for some of those guys. So even though he's not Patrick Mahomes, he did he did fit what Ohio State wanted from a quarterback at that time. So it, you know, they just, in my 15 years, there were really, there's only really one year where they had real true quarterback issues. And then there's another year, it's the year before I got here, that I think is very possibly instructive in this. But that is a little bit 
of what I think is interesting slash difficult about this exercise, Nathan, is wrapping your head around the idea of Ohio State having only an average quarterback. Yeah, and, and well, but it's also like what actually means average. Because sometimes in, in this particular case, the guy that you're comparing Justin Fields to might actually be one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten, but he's still nowhere near where we think Justin Fields might be because Justin Fields is one of the best two or three in college football, we think. Um, I think that's also a distinction here, too. That just because you're trading Justin Fields for quarterback X and there's obviously a big difference there doesn't mean you're necessarily giving Ohio State a piece of crap quarterback. You're still possibly giving Ohio State a pretty good quarterback in this swap. And is that maybe good enough to win on that given Saturday? The other aspect of this, that it's when you think about Justin Fields going against Ohio State, you know what's kind of a common denominator? And we've played this game a lot. We've done a lot of podcasts. Can you believe how many podcasts we've done since April 1st when we went to five days a week? I feel like I've done nothing but podcasts since April 1st. I think we're approaching 100. I actually was going to mark it. We're probably over April, May, June, five days. I gotta, I'll got i do math off air because, again, me doing live math, it's okay podcasting. It's not A-plus podcasting. We've done a lot, but I, and we've talked a lot about their losses because they win so much, the losses stand out. A common denominator, and this is no great, analysis i feel like that's another thing i say a lot in this podcast this is no great analysis buckeye talk is that the opposing quarterback when ohio state loses the opposing quarterback usually played pretty well nate stanley for iowa played well david blau for purdue played well baker mayfield for oklahoma played well deshaun watson for clemson 2016 played well trevor lawrence last year made some big plays when they needed him so when you say, okay, not only are we giving Justin Fields away, not only are we making you now take this other team's quarterback, now you have to defend Justin Fields. And guess what? Ohio State gets through a Big Ten season, as we have said a gazillion times, never having to defend a guy like Justin Fields. If they actually, if Justin Fields, and again, part of what makes this interesting is that Justin Fields originally was committed to Penn State. So when we swap him to Penn State, and we'll get to that, that was something that could have happened. If they actually had to play Justin Fields in Big Ten play, he'd be the best quarterback they've ever faced in my 15 years here. And the only, the only possible exception, I think, is Russell Wilson, and I have a lot to say about that. But that idea even, Nathan, right? Not only are we you're not you're losing Justin Fields, but now you got to defend him. They don't have to do that in the Big Ten. Well, yeah, I think even if you had a quarterback with all of Justin Fields' parameters, like if he's like a Madden character and just put quarterback A on him, and that's who Ohio State has, and then there's another exact replicant of that out there in the Big Ten on Ohio State's schedule this year, how much does that? How much more doubt does that put in your head that Ohio State would win the Big Ten this year? I'm not saying it would like flip it, but I'm saying it have to probably it would increase your percentage of doubt by a little bit because that's that's one other great quarterback that you know you're gonna have to face against a defense that has some questions, and that's that's the other thing here. There's some matchups here where it's the right combination of of, of now Justin Fields getting into another team's um, you know skill position talent and going up against Ohio State's defense. I mean, I better be wrong about some of the concerns I have about Ohio State's defense if Ohio State's going to win those games in that situation. These hypothetical situations won't happen, obviously. 
And that's one of those things. It's like, okay, so we we wonder about the secondary. We wonder about every cornerback not named Sean Wade. You know who would really find those guys? Justin Fields. Justin Fields. And that's the kind of thing Ohio State says all the time. Oh, we're tested more in practice than we are on a Saturday. Heck, yeah, you are. When Justin Fields (laughs) is throwing at you, oh, you know, how good are the linebackers? Well, we'd find out. Oh, how good's a pass rush? All right, well, if you're not getting a pass rush on Justin Fields, he's going to kill you. So – let, let me run through. Can I start, Nathan, with a brief history of Ohio State quarterbacks? Please do. This is the total QBR rating by ESPN, which is not infallible. I don't even know what goes into it. I'm assuming, uh, I don't know, how good of an interview you are, how much time you give Tom Rinaldi for uh, his, uh, his special sit-down interview with you. That probably gives you a high QBR rating. But I'm guessing they have some stats and rele- relevant information in there. Going back to 2004, because that's how old the stats are, here's where Ohio State's starting quarterback ranked in QBR in the Big Ten year by year. 2019, Justin Fields first. 2018, Dwayne Haskins first. 2017, JT Barrett first. 2016, JT Barrett third. Wilton Spate from Michigan. Trace McSorley from Penn State. Uh, the two ahead of him. And again, one of the things I want to just uh, that I'm trying to do here, Nathan, is, OK, let's talk about the quarterbacks that have ever been ranked higher in some statistical category in the Big Ten ahead of an Ohio State guy. Right. And who were they? And then it's like, OK, well, I get it. I get that Trace McSorley rating. Right. But Trace McSorley, I, I mean, it could not be further from Justin Fields. Right. That again, the point I want to make is. The Ohio State quarterback is going to be first a lot of these years, and the people who are topping the Ohio State quarterback are not are not their uh, Justin Fields type dude. Um, 2015, JT Barrett third, Jake Rudock at Michigan number one, Connor Cook at Michigan State number two, and Connor Cook beat Ohio State. So again, Connor Cook, he's not Justin Fields. He has not gone on to a great NFL career. But Connor Cook gave Ohio State some real trouble. 2014, JT Barrett won. 2013, Braxton Miller won. 2012, Braxton Miller three. And the guys ranked ahead of him, Denard Robinson from Michigan and Taylor Martinez from Nebraska. And again, those are both kind of run first little wiggly guys. They're not, they're not Justin Fields. 2011, which is the most messed up quarterback year that I've been a part of at Ohio State because I came in 2005. Of course it is. It's Joe Bowserman played some games and a freshman Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller was still fourth in the Big Ten. The guys ahead of him, Russell Wilson from Wisconsin, Dan Persa from Northwestern, Denard Robinson from Michigan. And I want to get into Russell Wilson a lot because, Nathan, when we say what would happen if you put Justin Fields – on another Big Ten team that Ohio State would then have to play. That happened once in the last 15 years, and it was the year that Russell Wilson came to Wisconsin, and they played Ohio State. So we actually have – the simulation has been done for us because you didn't have to simulate it. It happened. I just saw a thing the other day, a draft analysis, and it was talking about Trevor Lawrence and uh, Justin Fields. The comparison for Trevor Lawrence they made was Ben Roethlisberger. It's Ian Wharton, my guy Ian Wharton, who's been on this podcast before. His Trevor Lawrence comparison was Ben Roethlisberger. His Justin Fields comparison was Russell Wilson. So 
That's, we're going to talk about Russell Wilson later. 2010, Terrell Pryor was first. 2009, Terrell Pryor was fourth. People ahead of him, Kirk Cousins at Michigan State, very good NFL quarterback, never really gave Ohio State much trouble. Daryl Clark at Penn State, winner, kind of guy like in the JT Barrett mold. And Scott Tolzien at Wisconsin, who is, I think Wisconsin, other than Russell Wilson, has just played the same guy at quarterback for 15 years yeah. and just changed his first name from Bruce to Scott to Barry to Chad to Noodle Arm, whatever. It's the same guy. Um, 2008, Terrell Pryor, as a freshman, was second. First that year was Daryl Clark. Again, Daryl Clark beat Ohio State. Daryl Clark, but he's a JT Barrett type. He's not an NFL type guy. 2007, Todd Beckman was second. The year he took Ohio State to the national title game, Kellen Lewis from Indiana was first that year. 2006, Troy Smith first. 2005, Troy Smith first. And 2004, the year before I got here, totally whacked out year for the Buckeyes. Justin Zwick was seventh. And that's the transition from Zwick to Troy to you lose three straight, a lot of bumps in the road. That's another year I want to talk about because really that's the last time. 2011 is so messed up. It's just not, it's just almost like a, I just ignore it most of the time. 2004 is the last time that there wasn't off-field stuff that screwed it up, and it was just a dip. And they had a they had a dip kind of everywhere, coming off all the talent they had, no two and no three. But they definitely had a dip at quarterback, and it affected who Ohio State was that year. So, Nathan, that run when you hear all the years they were first. From Terrell Pryor was first at times. Troy Smith was first at times. Braxton Miller was first at times. JT Barrett was first at times. Haskins and Fields. They were all the number one rated quarterback in the Big Ten at some point. Does that lead you to believe more that, A, they just always have a talented, skilled guy at quarterback who's really good, or B, there are so many other things in place at Ohio State with the talent around them and the coaching that you can put in not just anybody, but you can put in a whole lot of different quarterbacks and a whole lot of guys would be able to be the highest rated quarterback in the Big Ten because they're at Ohio State with everything the Buckeyes have to offer. Well, I, I think it's a combination of those two things. I, I think you're always going to be bringing in talented quarterbacks to Ohio State, or you should be. You should never just be bringing in some schlub. You should always have one pretty talented guy on your roster who at some point in his career would then be the starter and have that kind of opportunity. And then, yes, he's, always, he's also going to be surrounded. I don't think that you can just take the talent on th this team, for instance, and necessarily put any quarterback, any of the even starting quarterbacks, that we know of in the Big Ten right now, and they would be the number one ranked quarterback this next year. I don't think it's that easy. The guy has to already be pretty good, but Ohio State is always bringing in pretty good quarterbacks. I know they don't go on to like NFL kind of success necessarily, but they're bringing in good quality. Good is, is underselling. I mean, they're bringing really good college quarterbacks all the time, and then the collection of talent around that, um, offense and defense, puts him in a position to have that kind of ranking. I, I think it's both. I don't think it's one or the other. Which one would you lean if you had to lean? I think it's because they always have – I think it's they, they go out and find quarterback talent. I mean, again, those guys – I know that those guys didn't go on to NFL success the way, for instance, Russell Wilson did. But 
all of those guys are considered were considered strong college football players and became strong college football players. You know what I mean? Like it's you're always getting good quarterbacks into this system. I do. I agree with that. I think it's more that they've always had a guy. And then and even when, you know, like, for instance, when they have when Braxton Miller got hurt, they had JT Barrett. When JT Barrett got hurt, they had Cardale Jones. Um, you know, and like they didn't when you really get thrown off because part of the part of the thing. And man, how freaked out was everybody last year? Because part of the thing is you have a plan in place and you, and even, you know, to play JT Barrett as a redshirt freshman in 2014 wasn't the plan, but it ended up being not catastrophic because he was ready enough. He was more than ready. I mean, what JT Barrett did in 2014 was unbelievable. But last year, what everybody was so worried about was they just the, – the plan was thrown off. They didn't have anybody behind Justin Fields. And once you took Terrell Pryor away in 2011, you didn't have anybody ready. Joe Bozerman was not a backup who was ready to come in and start. And Braxton Miller was a true freshman with uh, in a weird situation who was trying to learn on the fly. You know, when Braxton Miller got hurt later in his career, they had Kenny Guyton. He was ready. They have had guys. They usually have enough of a plan – that losing a guy isn't disastrous, but that I think is is part of the idea here of of you know it's not that and we talked about this oh we'll compare him to Oklahoma and I think you know I think there's a world out there where Justin Fields and his transfer picks Oklahoma so then Jalen Hurts and his transfer picks Ohio State and Justin Fields is now going into year two at Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts was only at Ohio State for a year, and now Ohio State's got to figure out what they're doing this year. But, I mean, that kind of thing, if there's a plan, Ohio State's always going to have a plan. But it's almost like what if what if the wizard waved his wand and you didn't have a plan? How much could the structure around it sort of hold up, like, almost anybody? And I, I guess I would say the history, I think, to me, shows that it it's probably not – it's not that. It's more – there's always a guy. There's almost always a talented quarterback ready and that you can't throw in the 70th best quarterback in college football, no matter how good your recruiting is, no matter how good your coaching is, no matter how good your defense and your offensive line is, that's not going to be enough to get it done. The 70th best quarterback in college football is not going to win a big 10 title at Ohio state. I think that's where I've arrived in sort of sorting through this idea. And doesn't that make you think that they walked a tightrope a little bit last year then? Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. of and maybe more so last year than in any year in recent memory. That And he did get hurt. And right. Fields did get hurt. And he was able to play through it. But, yeah, that – It's certainly you know, more so than I think hard. they will be in 2020 if, if we end up having a 2020. I, I still think that, like – one of those freshmen pressed into action, maybe not from the first day they go out there, but there's talent there. They can make something out of those guys. I just didn't have that kind of feeling even about the guys on the roster last year that were more experienced, older, had been through some some stuff. I, and now I guess, though, the, the question that – it does raise a question for 2020, though, and we're getting off topic maybe a little bit, but um, the, they're, they're still walking a tightrope, maybe just not as high of one. If that makes sense. No, I agree. I, th- I think it, it is it is significantly lower. The fall wouldn't kill them this time. The fall might sprain their ankle, right? It's a difference right. between like walking on a curb and walking on the ledge of a five-story building. You know, if you fall off, you might get hurt, but I'd rather fall 12 inches than five stories. 
All right, let's get to the nut. And it's not market down Wednesday. So we don't, you know, we're not trying to like, we don't have to declare anything. We can just mess around for as long as we want. Well, again, we can't measure this. Like we can't, they're not going to actually let us trade players between teams. Market down Monday, it's always something we can look back and say, did this happen or not? That um, will be a good, you're going to do posts on that, right? Once we hit thresholds where we can look back on market down Mondays and say, what was the right answer? That'll be a good. Right. Uh, that'll be a good little post to go back and revisit. Yeah, go back and revisit all of the 2020 predictions that didn't end up happening because there was no 2020 season. Yeah, In this is the worst year to start market down Monday. And we'll get into that. We're gonna do some. We're gonna do you know a good long bit of uh, of this discussion here, and then we'll take a break. Uh, and when we come back from the break, before we get into more Justin Fields quarterback wizard waving wand waving wizard stuff. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in college football, Ohio State, uh, telling its season ticket holders that it anticipates only having 20% of the seating in Ohio Stadium this year. No tailgating, no skull session. We'll talk about that a little bit. We have some texter uh, involvement with that. Again, if you want to be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. Uh, a couple people signed up recently. We appreciate that. 14-day, uh, 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month after that. All right, Nathan, let's look at the Big Ten teams first. If I did this podcast half an hour from now, my answers might change on this. The Wizard, I like Wizards. You like a Harry Potter guy? Did you read the Harry Potter books? I have seen the first Harry Potter movie. It's the only one I've seen so far. I, didn't, I have not read the books. Did not find the writing. Uh, when my oldest daughter, my both my children have now read both, set, uh, but have read, read them all and – Watched all the movies, and we have visited the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal Studios, which we allow ourselves to dip over from Disney. Disney owns our hearts, but we have done that twice because they were into Harry Potter enough. And that's really fun. If you guys ever get down to Universal um, or out Universal in uh, California or the one down in Florida, you know, I'd recommend it. It's a fun day. You wave a wand. Um, I did not find the writing that compelling in the first one, and I couldn't get through it. And then... The whole deal of the first movie, I thought, I thought the some of the plot stuff, like the whole thing. I don't want to give stuff away, but like the guy with the with turban and like what. I the think you can spoiler. I mean, it's been like 20 years since that first one came out, right? <laughs> like the guy's wearing a, a turban because he has a face on the back of his head. Was like, come on, that was. I thought that was strange. That was not particularly compelling to me. So I was out on the rest of it after that, <laughs> both books and movies, but not amusement parks. Amusement parks have been on. Um, so we're waving the wand. We're waving the wand in the Big Ten. How many Big Ten teams did you say if you switched Justin Fields for the starting quarterback of the other team, and then Ohio State was playing with that starting quarterback, how many teams would then beat Ohio State? I think I, too, might change my answer in a half hour. Um, I have one that I thought for sure. One for sure. Okay. And I, then a couple others that I'm, I'm, I was really sitting the fence on. I have four and a, and one maybe. So uh, I'm ready to be disputed and have my mind changed on my four. Uh, and then my one maybe. What, and I will tell you that um, Phil Steele's preseason magazine, and listen, we don't pretend to know all this stuff. Again, this is a podcast where we don't know anybody on any other teams. Go listen to Badger Talk. I, I mean, if we had a network 
um, there was a time at Cleveland.com when we talked about creating like a, a national recruiting website and we had all these plans. We have a lot of different college uh, football. We have a lot of websites around the country that are part of our company. A lot of them happen to be in large college football areas, such as, you know, uh, covering Penn State, covering Alabama, covering Oregon, covering Syracuse, covering Michigan, Michigan State. We did still, we've done stuff at times where we tried to do things as a group, but um, you know, we, if we had, you know, if, if we had a greater depth of knowledge, we'd, we'd have, we'd talk more about other teams, but we don't have that. So I leaned on, but we were going to do this website. We're going to call it recruiting galaxy and we we're going to do all this stuff. And we had all these plans to do kind of like expand because we felt we liked the recruiting stuff we were doing. And then we decided not to do it. I think we even owned the, the URL at one point. I probably shouldn't say that anyway. <laughs> Hey, it's, that means it's for sale. Someone wants to come buy it. Yeah, 10 bucks. Um, no, they could buy it from us. Yeah, well, for 10 bucks. I mean, I can each oh. go to McDonald's. I would think we could, we could hold out for more than that. Oh, the dreams we had. The dreams we had. Um, By the way, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to switch already. I think I'm going to say two for sure that I think would beat Ohio State. So I leaned on. So Phil Steele's magazine is in the mail. It's, it's, on, it's for sale. Phil, Phil was on this podcast last week. His magazine is out. I lean on his magazine a lot for just quick little info about other teams. I don't have that in front of me right now. He said he's going to send me one. He always does. Uh, but I am leaning on Brett Ciancia, who is also on this podcast uh, recently, and his preseason magazine, uh, Pick 6 Previews. I'd recommend that. I recommend both of them. You have enough money to get both. Phil Steele and Pick 6 Previews. So I will tell you this, Nathan. Brett Ciancia in his season preview for all the conferences, he ranked position groups and I added up the position group rankings for all the teams in the big 10, but I took out quarterback. Okay. So you want a lower number here. Cause like for instance, Ohio state, if they're first in defensive line and second in linebackers and you know, first in offensive line or whatever, then your number is low. You get that concept, mm -hmm. right? Everybody. Yep, yep, so yep. I'll tell you, here were the rankings by Brett minus the quarterbacks, the total points. Ohio State was first with nine points. Then Penn State second with 22. Michigan third with 24. Wisconsin fourth with 30. Iowa fifth with 33. Indiana sixth with 40. Minnesota seventh with 41. Nebraska eighth with 47. Northwestern ninth with 55, Purdue 10th with 59, Illinois 11th with 60, Michigan State 12th with 61, Rutgers 13th with 70, and Maryland 14th with 79. So that shows you, Nathan, that gap. I mean, Brett has Ohio State first in almost everything. And so Ohio State's nine, and the next team is a 22. So that, in Brett's opinion, I think it's reflective of what a lot of us would do if we had a preseason mm -hmm. magazine. That's how big the gap is between the overall non-quarterback talent of Ohio State and everybody else in the Big Ten. Would you generally agree with this kind of rough estimation, or would you dispute that at all? I didn't retain every single one you just said, but yeah, I mean, roughly, yeah. That's about how I would put it. Now, what you're probably about to get to, though, is that don't you place more emphasis on quarterback than you do – on any of the other positions. Right. So that's, that's what this exercise is. And I was almost going to, maybe we can answer this at the end. 
Nathan. I was almost going to ask us to do this, but I didn't, so I don't want to spring it on you. But it's like if you had to give some kind of 100% rating to Ohio State success, I guess in 2020, it, however good Ohio State will be, how would you divide up what is most responsible for that? Whether let's say you divide it up by whether by position group or whether by individual, or whatever, but like what percent would you assign to Justin Fields? Like it's, it's high, right? I mean, it, he's first, yeah. he's certainly the, the number one person on the team, whether you'd say it's 18% or 36% or whatever. I mean, Justin Fields is the most important part of the 2020 Ohio State football team. No doubt, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you're, if it's a percentage of, them being a good football team, then the percentage is lower. If it's a percentage of them winning a national championship and then probably having to go undefeated on the way to get there, all of that stuff, then I think the percentage is higher. He's more responsible for that being able to happen. Yes. And I do think that is a, cause that's part of it too is, you know, there are probably, I said you couldn't, there's not 70 guys that could play quarterback for Ohio state. There's, there's probably 70 guys who could play quarterback for Ohio state and go to a bowl and win eight games and maybe even beat beat ranked teams in that kind of thing. It's just you're not going to win a national title with it. Uh, Brett's magazine's been out for a little bit. I'll just tell you, his rankings, he obviously had Justin Fields. He had quarterback number one for Ohio State. Ohio State second in running back, first in wide receiver and tight ends, first in offensive line, first in defensive line, first in linebackers, third in secondary. So that's how dominant he thought Ohio State was. Um, all right. Who is the first team that you think would beat Ohio State if you flip-flop the quarterbacks? Penn State. Because I think Penn State is already a really strong team, and putting Justin Fields on them makes them better than Ohio State. And part of that is you're getting a guy back in Sean Clifford, who is third-team preseason All-Big Ten on Brett Siancia's list. Significant drop-off. Right. And exactly. And that's, and it's, it's, it's also the fact that there's, it's, as you just demonstrated in his other ranking, like it, that's the team that's already closest to Ohio state in terms of talent right now. Right. And so I do think, for instance, Pat Fryermuth is probably the best tight end in the big 10 journey Brown at running back. He's a first team, all big 10 preseason pick for Brett Siancia. So is Trey Sermon. Those are his two first team, all big 10 running backs. Journey Brown is at the very least in the conversation as the best running back in the Big Ten right now. Um, Penn State has had some receivers. They don't necessarily have a dude right now, but they often have some guys there. I think when Bob Flounders was here, he might have had some questions. I can't remember. Either Bob Flounders thought their offensive line would be really good or he had questions about it. It was one of those two. I just can't remember which one it was, Nathan. It was either really good or really bad. Anyway, they have guys like Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons might be the best defensive player in the Big Ten. Lamont Wade at corner is a legit guy. Shaka Tony on the defensive line. Like, they have some dudes. And you throw Justin Fields into that mix, there's enough around him. And part of this, Nathan, too, is this not factoring in for you? He has to be – Justin Fields has to go to a good enough team that allows him to be Justin Fields. If he's getting sacked every play – because there's no offensive line, or if every time he hits a receiver in the hands, that guy drops it, or if every time Justin Fields leads a scoring drive, his defense comes on the field and gives up an 80-yard touchdown on the first play, 
that's going to make it very hard for Justin Fields to win. So they have to it sort of has to be a team that has enough in place to let Justin Fields skill matter. Yeah. And, and they have that. I mean, I, I, I would go so far as to, it makes you think is the, like right now is the only reason that we talk about Ohio state being a national championship contender and Penn state being pretty good and maybe a threat, but possibly on the outside of that kind of conversation because they would have to beat Ohio state to get there because one has Justin Fields and the other one doesn't like, I think that if you took the balance of their talent at most other places, I know that that they had a, a gap from between nine and 22 or whatever you said on another one. But I actually, I mean, it's relatively similar to me. I, the biggest gap is a quarterback to me. And, and I think like, like on one hand, yes. And on the other hand, no, all right, it just depends the lens you're looking at it through. But I think in this lens, you flip the quarterbacks. And again, you know, just Sean Clifford is is fine, I think. I don't know how much upside there is with Sean Clifford. Um, He's good. He just doesn't have that kind of – the same dynamic upside ceiling that Fields does on any given day, I don't think. And I guess that's the important thing. Like, okay, I, I, maybe they're not that equal, but I think the, the – the, the difference in quarterback, if you're, you're kind of adding a, a, a multiplier to quarterback in right. some ways. And that, it, that's what makes it different, yeah. Justin Fields is going to make every skill position better, guy that much better. He's going to imbue a team with confidence. If there are any offensive line issues, he's going to escape and make some big plays when other guys would be sacked. But, um, yeah, I just I agree with Penn State. I think Penn State – for a lot of reasons, and we've gone over it in a multitude of ways. That's obviously the number one challenger. Phil Steele said it. Bob Flounder has laid out a lot of reasons on the Penn State preview pod why it was the case. Um, Penn State is the closest team to Ohio State, and I think they are close enough that just flip-flopping the quarterbacks would make the difference. Let me give you one of the teams that, boy, I'm not confident about it, but I'm saying yes they would beat Ohio State if you gave them Justin Fields and took their quarterbacks, and that's Michigan. I said Michigan was my second team. I think with their offensive line, I think we've talked about that their offensive line, even though they're replacing four starters, I think what Ed Warner does there is good enough. I think if you had Justin Fields, you know, they have some decently rated guys at running back. They have Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell and some guys at receiver that can get it done, I think. Justin Fields would make all those guys better. And whenever we've talked about this, we, we had the Michigan preview pod last week, and, and Nathan, you and Steven and I talked about this. Don Brown doesn't have to shut out Ohio State for Michigan to beat Ohio State. You know, it's not about the Michigan defense, you know, spinning a shutout, but Michigan needs to be able to score enough with them, and then Don Brown needs to have enough of a defensive effort to keep keep Ohio State from from scoring 65 so I just think Justin Fields, the number one thing, and again, just to reiterate, when I remember this now, when Bob Flounders was on talking about Penn State, we said, what's the biggest thing a Penn State has to do to catch Ohio State? And number one on his list was develop a five-star quarterback. Get and develop a five-star quarterback. What have we talked about a million times with Harbaugh? He hasn't developed his quarterback yet. You drop Justin Fields on Michigan's roster, he solves almost – he doesn't solve every problem. He solves a lot of the problems, and he allows a lot of the good things to become more prominent. And, and Michigan still has to defend. They can't give up, I don't think, 50 or 60 points probably and still win that game in that scenario, although it's more likely if they have Justin Fields. But they don't have to defend against 
Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins. They're defending against Dylan McCaffrey or Joe Milton or whoever ends up being the quarterback for Michigan. And I just think that's an easier task, obviously, than trying to go up against one of those other two guys. And that, that was ultimately what pushed me over the edge. I was thinking the exact same thing as you, because we, we done, we do this every year. We sit here and we talk about when is Michigan going to finally have the offense that can kind of crack the code as much as having the defense that can crack the code. They also need the offense that cracks the code. And I think they do that with Justin Fields. All right. So those are your two. Those were my two. Um, and there were, there was one that I gave a really long, hard thought to. Um, I, I don't think this team probably has the defense to do it. But if you had a team that had a Heisman Trophy contender at receiver, another receiver who just had a thousand yard freshman season was a freshman All American, and then you put Justin Fields in that offense. I think that's a really, really intriguing possibility and then the the quarterback you're trading back to Ohio State is either a redshirt sophomore who was okay last year and got hurt or a former walk-on are you this is still in the Big Ten this is in the Big Ten West are you talking about my man Rondale Moore and the I'm Purdue fighting Boilermakers Rondale Moore and the Purdue Boilermakers and David Bell are going to be potentially if they figure something out a quarterback I think they could be um a bit of a sneaky pick in the West this year, maybe not to win it, but to, to create some problems. Um, yeah, but David Bell, Rondell Moore, and Justin Fields in the same offense. Now, again, that Purdue's defense, I don't know as much about. I know they've got a, another freshman All-American uh, defensive end in George Karloftis. They've got some other guys who have some talent. I don't know if they have enough to stop Ohio State, and that might be a game that that version of Purdue with Justin Fields would have to win some kind of arena league shootout score, but Damn, I mean, I'd, I'd give them a chance to do it with Fields and both of those guys. So, uh, again, part of this is um, – And I think it, the important part is who you're trading back as quarterback. Right. How much I agree, does that I agree equalize that. things? And that – so it's almost like the – right. The, the team that has the best shot is a good, solid team that has a crappy quarterback, that they're now getting maybe the best quarterback in college football, and now you're giving Ohio State a crappy quarterback. That's like the, the, almost how it works the best. And again, we can look, it's like, has this ever been simulated? Drew Brees, the three years he was the starter, he was nine and four, seven and five, and eight and four at Purdue. So listen, they're not winning national titles, but that's better than. They still Purdue built a statue usually. to Joe Tiller for those years. <laughs> That's better than Purdue usually is. And sure. they, they were given teams. I'm sure they gave teams trouble. They, they played with some good teams. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, what, what happens? All right. I mean, I'm looking at this. This October 7th, 2000, Drew Brees' senior year, Michigan's the number six team in the country. Purdue beats them 32 31. And then Purdue, in a stretch of a month, beat number six Michigan, number 17 Northwestern, and number 12 Ohio State in 2000 with Drew Brees at quarterback. So it's like what happens when you put an elite, elite quarterback dropped into a typical sort of middle-of-the-pack roster for the Big Ten? The result is that team gets a lot better and all of a sudden has the capability of beating some blue bloods. And we, I mean, that I think is a reasonable comparison of what would happen if you gave Justin Fields to Purdue 
look what Drew Brees did. And now you have Brom being Brom. Like what did yeah. Jeff Brom, his, if his, his head would explode, that'd be the biggest issue for Purdue. They'd have a coach on the sideline with an exploded head because he got Justin Fields. I mean, that guy would dial some stuff up. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, again, I, and the other big factor being like, I don't know who Purdue would start at quarterback right now. It's probably either Jack Plummer, again, redshirt sophomore who was, got hurt last year after starting the year. And then Aiden O'Connell, a former walk-on who came in and took the job after that. And they, as of July, don't know which of those guys would start. It may be both of them playing. So put both those guys on Ohio state. And I still think the, the, the swapping quarterback talent there is massive. And the, and the tools that Justin Fields would have at his disposal is not a drop off. Right, he'd it's a drop off, but it's not a massive drop off from from like you know Wilson, Olave, those guys. Yeah, Rondale Moore deep, would play at Ohio deep, State, but top heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. So would David Bell, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, okay, so Purdue wasn't on my list, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue it. I think you make a good point. Um, so I think I bet the separation that happens now is on our two lists is that I might have more confidence in the quarterback that's being traded back to Ohio State to still be good enough to beat the other team, and maybe you don't. That's so probably this, what's going to happen here with these next This two. is a difficult one, and I think, I, I think like, I'm, I'm less confident saying it now, you, having you just said that, is Minnesota. Because I think everybody agrees Tanner Morgan's the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten. The reason that Minnesota almost won the Big Ten West last year is because they figured out how to throw the ball, and they had two excellent receivers and a quarterback who could get it to them. And so, you know – it probably in terms of like, could they beat Ohio State? Well, like Tanner Morgan at Ohio State, I don't know. Tanner Morgan's probably Todd Beckman. Todd Beckman made the national title game quarterbacking Ohio State. So uh, maybe this, maybe Minnesota is not the right answer because indisputably he's the second best quarterback in the Big Ten and maybe Tanner Morgan's too good. Tanner Morgan at Ohio State might win the national title. So I, I don't know. I like, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it, but maybe. Maybe Minnesota's not a right answer here. Well, OSU was, along with Michigan, was the other one that I – I'm sorry, Minnesota along with Michigan was the other one that I had. Like, OSU wins, question mark, question mark, question mark by it. Because I, I thought about it. I guess what it comes down to me is I still see a big enough talent gap outside of quarterback between Ohio State and pretty much anybody in the West that I'm not going to – that I would still take Ohio State to beat that team that I don't think Justin Fields alone negates that, 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 that differential. And especially when you're talking about putting Tanner Morgan on Ohio States, I, I agree that there is still a gap that just, and it's what I was saying before. It, it's the other side of what I was saying before. I mean, we're kind of both saying the same things, but when I was saying that just because it's another, just because there's a big gap between Justin Fields and, and the next quarterback at the big 10 doesn't mean that guy is crap. And I think in this case, Tanner Morgan actually is a pretty good college quarterback. He's probably just not a Heisman Trophy contender, but a guy that could you could you could totally see a scenario where Tanner Morgan ends up um, on NFL rosters for a decade. Oh yeah, no, I love to make fun of mediocre Big Ten quarterbacks, and there have been ten or fifteen of them who have wound up on Big. Ten. I mean, Curtis Painter was on an NFL yep. roster for a while, and Jim Sorge and Jim Scott Tolstein. I mean, it's like all these guys who I'm like that. Well, all guy those guys with the Colts. <laughs> Yeah, for real. <laughs> Painter and Sorchi were both Colts at a time when the Colts um, just needed somebody to be alive behind Peyton Manning. Right. Except I mean, the year that he didn't play. 
And then they were the worst team in football and got Andrew right. Luck. So it's like, right. yeah, right. it's almost better. It's like, yeah, well, our backup quarterbacks stink. We're going to tank if our guy gets hurt. Um, again, to, to reference Brett Siancia's rankings, defensively, Ohio State in the three defensive groups, he has first, first, third. He has Minnesota eighth, twelfth, ninth. So is that Minnesota defense? Okay, now you've got Justin Fields instead of Tanner Morgan. You got Justin Fields throwing it to Rashad Bateman. Like, is that good enough to get it done? Maybe not. Maybe that Ohio State defense. I mean, I don't know. Does Minnesota have Zach Harrison? Does Minnesota have Baron Browning? Does Minnesota have Sean Wade? Uh, I don't know. I'm guessing no. So that answer might be wrong. Let me give you my maybe because I want to save this other team for last. My maybe was Indiana. And the reason for that is we've talked a lot about Indiana. When Phil Steele was on, he agreed with we, the sort of the conclusion. We have, we have come to this conclusion in a variety of ways over the last three months that Indiana feels like a maybe upset pick when you're looking for that team to jump up and get Ohio State. But the game's in Columbus next, this, uh, this year, maybe 20, 2021 in Bloomington. Maybe it gets more dangerous. But part of that is Tom Allen seems like smart, steady coach, pretty good defensively. A couple skill guys to like, Wap Fillior at receiver, who I disrespected before, Stevie Scott at running back, just enough going on. And then Michael Penix, we like the upside of Michael Penix, but man, like if Michael Penix hits, you hope he's 65% at Justin Fields. You drop Justin Fields, let Tom Allen do his thing defensively, give Justin Fields enough playmakers, and then now you're putting Michael Penix on Ohio State, and it's like, okay, the guy's got upside, Maybe the talent around him is enough to lift him. Maybe also he's still young and inconsistent. I, I wasn't sure. I'm not saying a yes on Indiana, but I am saying a maybe. I'm going to be interested. So as people, our listeners probably know, we do an, the unofficial official Big Ten preseason football poll every year. And that email has gone out, and we will have that later this week. I think it will actually be part of the podcast later this week. At least that's what we're planning. I'm really intrigued to see where people vote Indiana this year because I have a feeling they might be 2020s, 2019 Nebraska as far as preseason expectations and then what ends up happening. I feel like maybe there's people are, are grasping a little too much to pull Indiana up into a tier that I don't think they're at. And I think this is another example where the talent separation across the rest of the field would be too great for Justin Fields alone to to flip. Because I think, again, you'd still be giving a pretty good quarterback to Ohio State. Right. Um, no, you're right. Again, like, and again, I mean, maybe, maybe you let Michael Penix stand back there behind Ohio State's offensive line. You, you might solve every problem Michael Penix has ever had. Michael, right. Penix, <laughs> Michael Penix might look like Patrick Mahomes back there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's possible. And again, is it not – I, I I dislike it when it happens. It feels like it happens to me all the time, perhaps because I'm not a very uh, creative, uh, ingenuitive, ingenuitive listness person. But I, it's like I feel like every time I think I have a like an underdog to like, it's the underdog that everybody likes, and then it's always wrong. And Nebraska last year is the perfect example, and I think you're exactly right. It feels like everybody is circling around Indiana in the same way. Whereas last year, everybody circled around Nebraska. And I knew there were some smart data analysis or some film watching people who I, I'm trying to think Matt Hinton might've been one of them. Some of these national college people who were like, 
I don't know what people are doing on Nebraska. I think the dark horse in the Big Ten is Minnesota. And it was a small handful of people, and they were exactly right. They had the right underdog in the Big Ten, and me and everybody else who had Nebraska was exactly wrong. So I think you might be right that that might be happening with Indiana this year. Um, Quick break. We'll come back, talk about seating reduction at Ohio Stadium this year, what it might mean, talk about no skull session, what that's going to feel like, sort of catch up with the news of what's happening with Ohio State football and the coronavirus, and then we're going to come back with the one other team that I still have on my list that I don't have as a maybe, but I have as the team that I think if you gave them Justin Fields, I think maybe they, I think they would beat the Buckeyes. Um, that's coming next on Buckeye Talk. Thanks for hanging in with us. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, uh, we're recording this Tuesday evening, and so the news came out on Tuesday that Ohio State, I guess, Nathan had originally sent it to season ticket holders, and then it kind of was started getting out, and then Ohio State made a statement about it. But for the people, you've written about it at cleveland.com. For the people who maybe don't have a grasp of what's going on, can you give us a breakdown of, of what's up with Ohio State's as they, plans as they continue to try to anticipate a 2020 football season? So people probably remember that back in whenever it was April, Gene Smith had originally told us that the they were gaming scenarios where capacity might only be 20 to 25 percent for Ohio Stadium this fall. And then he tried to kind of back off of that and say, oh, it could be 40 or 50. But I don't really feel like the, the momentum for that ever really picked up, especially as we saw how things have been going in society at large. So today, Ohio State announced that, uh, like you said, to letter season ticket holders that Attendance will be capped. I guess I shouldn't say capped, but they because they said it in a couple different ways. But it sounds like no more than 20 percent, roughly 20 percent is all that's going to get into Ohio Stadium for games. That was something that was sent to season ticket holders. However, Ohio State spokesperson later did say, did confirm to us that that will also include student tickets. So it's not like only 20,000 fans and then students on top of that or students will be shut out. So. Some indeterminate number, probably around 21,000 fans, will be available to get into Ohio Stadium this fall. Now, that's also going to include everyone's going to have to wear face coverings. At least that's what's mandated right now. I suppose there's some scenario where they could get to November and things have gotten better and they tell people they don't need him anymore, but that seems unlikely. Um, there's still going to be physical distancing inside the stadium. So um, people are going to be spread out, and I assume that's going to be enforced in some way. Um, you know, like an usher coming by and telling you to move if you start to cluster up. Um, concessions will be limited, though. I guess that makes perfect sense when you're taking 80% of the fans out of the stadium anyway. Um, and then no tailgating, no skull session. So we reached out to our texters again, 614-350-3315, and asked them, what are the questions you have about this? And we also asked them checking a little bit, what are you going to miss about Skull Session, that kind of thing. I like Skull Session. I, I think Skull Session is really – I mean, there's a – everybody likes Skull Session. I mean, it's really cool. I mean, I, I just like the whole vibe of the thing. I mean, you know, you get to hear the band. I, I think it's a great use of St. John Arena, which is like, well, otherwise, otherwise, why is this old basketball arena sitting there in the middle of campus? Um, but I know every time that they've talked about tearing it down and doing something, that's pretty valuable land there. You know, um, it's not in the middle of campus. Yeah. It's on the edge of campus, but it's right there next to Ohio Stadium. You know, it's across from a Panera. There's a lot they could do there. And every time you bring it up, it's like, well, what are you going to do with Skull Session? Um, it's a perfect use for that. I, I'm not sure they get their most use out of it. The other, you know, 
I mean, they use it very well, like eight times a year. days a year. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know if that's smart, smart land use planning, but we asked people what you think. And so at this point, we're still at the question question stage with this. So let's run through some questions because I'm sure you have some questions as you're listening to this, just as we do. And then like Nathan and I, again, you know, it's Tuesday evening. Guess what we're going to be doing on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and next week? We're going to try to get some answers to some of these questions because I think there's a lot a lot out there. And Dave or Nathan, I was talking to our boss, Dave, about this. I mean, it's one of these things of I think we just have to go about trying to answer questions as they come up, even if soon enough the questions themselves may be irrelevant because in a month they may decide there's going to be no fans. So every question we asked about, well, how are they going to decide which people get the tickets? Well, what's the resale market going to be like? Well, how are they going to treat students? They all might be moot, but I don't know that we can just wait, sit around and wait for mootness. I think we have to deal in the moment as things come along. And then if it turns out, just like, you know, as Dave pointed out, we previewed Buffalo. Now they're not playing Buffalo, but at the moment we previewed them, we thought they were. So I think we have to try to attack this for the moment of what a 20% full stadium might mean. Or no, should we, should we just like chill out? No, 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 I agree. No, and it's, it's, uh, well, what can you do? I mean, it's, it's, we, we kind of follow, uh, you know, the Chicago Tribune used to have a column in the wake of the news. I can't remember if they still use that or not for their sports column. Um, but that's like, things change and you just have to kind of keep bouncing with the, the waves. All right. So a couple questions from the 614. If college football is a big business, why are we so worried if students get tickets? That is some there's some reaction immediately to, yes, we'll try to have students get in. And we have a tech subscriber who is a student who is concerned as a student. But you don't often hear, Nathan, people sort of phrase it from the other way. But this is the constant dance of college football of are you a business? Are you an amateur recreational activity on a Saturday where everybody waves their pom poms? And the answer is yes. They're both. It's not an invalid question. If the whole issue is we're trying to make as much money as we can to support the entire athletic department, if you're going to have only 20% of the stadium full, why not have every ticket cost 300 bucks and say, the heck with the students. We got to maximize what we can maximize. I suppose I see that argument. And I, I think if revenue was not a consideration, maybe they would have already said no fans this fall. But revenue is a consideration. It's a huge consideration because I think if even even at normal prices, 20% capacity is still, I don't know what, like $10 million over the course of a year, depending on – I mean, I don't know what this sure. is going to mean. It may not be that much because they had they were $50.5 million for the 2018-19 season, which I think would be the, the, the reflective number of games and everything for this season that we we're supposed to have this coming season. And – now you've already taken two games off of what they're going to have for home games because you're getting rid of the non-conference games. And and the revenue, when you start talking about suites and things like that, it makes it a little bit different. So if you're just talking about seats in the bowl and some of them are student seats, it's probably less than that. But it's still a significant amount of money, 20,000 people over seven or whatever it be now, five dates, 100,000 people at whatever that ticket is. Like that's not nothing. My answer is I was playing devil advocate there. I mean, I think everybody agrees. You, you want to serve your students. They're, they're the customers of the university, and this is a university activity. Like, they should get dibs to some degree. Um, and so it's a constant push and pull about this. But 
you know, it's one of those things. I think if, if you did just say the heck with the students, we're going to maximize every bit of revenue we can in this limited situation, you would really lose part of who you claim to be. And they lose a little piece of that every time they add Nebraska to the Big Ten, every time you play on a Thursday night, every time you add a game to the schedule, every time you, you know, every time you pull further and further away from the traditions of college football, and every time you lean into money and you let that be more of a driving force and you let, you know, college kids playing football be less of a driving force, you lose a little bit of that. But if you just said to heck with the students, that'd be a big loss. So I, I, I do think you have to take care of the students to some degree. Um, and we still don't know what percentage yet. I mean, they said students will be involved, but we don't know yet to what extent. It may be that if you want in, there's a lottery and you get one game. I don't know, but um, it'll probably be pretty it, – obviously, it'll be pretty limited because the whole thing's going to be limited. And the thing – and, and Gene, well, Gene did address this, and uh, I was reminded of it. I saw the quote when he was on a conference call with us in May, and this came up, and he said, you know, it's like, what would you do uh, if there's limited capacity? And he said, well, you know, they have a point system that for donors and season ticket holders that's already in place, and they've used that in the past. And so – they would lean on the point system. And so this might be one of those things where it's like, man, you, they might get more donations out of this. Cause it's like, if you want to get in, you're trying to get one out of 20,000 instead of a hundred thousand. And then you got to take care of, I mean, even beyond students. I mean, the most important group I think is the families of the players who are playing without a paycheck and are risking their bodies and brains, but also now in the middle of COVID, you got to get their mom and dad in the stand. So you got to have that, you got to have that family element, um, and then they'll figure out some kind of some kind of. I mean, it's not even figure out a point system. It's one that already exists. Well, and they they said in the release that went to the season ticket holders, there's already a, a thing set up for like if you purchase this many tickets, this is how many maximum you can get for the coming season. Yeah. Okay. From the five one three, why are we even putting people in the stands? I feel like this is adding extra work to Ohio State's plate, and they have enough testing and with they have enough with testing and keeping the players safe. Fans don't need to be there to play, and 20% capacity isn't going to make or break it financially for Ohio State. Um, do you think this is a way to say it's safe enough to play since people are in the stands? Like I, I think that's an interesting point. It's is 20% enough of a financial hit to justify it? That what's the reason? That well, the revenue is the reason because something is better than nothing. 20% is better than 0%. Or is there some other, Nathan, do you think there's some other intrinsic thing beyond revenue that makes 20% better than 0% that, hey, people love this sport. If we can let some people who love football and we can make it safe and we can socially distance, why, why wouldn't we allow them to do it? Because, of course, we believe it's safe or we wouldn't do it. Or, hey, we want some kind of atmosphere for the legitimacy of the game, for the people watching on TV, for the players themselves. We want it to feel like a college football game. So that 20% of the fans, they're going to play a role in the game. Do you think there is something valuable to 20% of the fans other than just the revenue they would bring in? Sure. I think there is an intrinsic value. I think the, the fans do bring something to a game. And even even if that's going to be reduced, it, it does help the atmosphere of a game to have people there live cheering, all that stuff. Um, but what I would remind people, though, is two things. Number one, they've set this limit at 20 percent. 
that doesn't mean they're going to actually have 20%. I mean, they obviously could still be zero. And then the um, Governor DeWine came out later in the day and said, well, actually, I did not know Ohio State was going to say that, and I'm not still still not sure it's safe. I think there's still a lot of things up in the air as to whether that's even possible. But I think this was more about – this is almost more about putting a warning out there or an alert out to this to this ticket season ticket holders just um, from a, a logistical standpoint. I think Ohio State was trying to be diligent and say, okay, just so everybody knows, things are going to drastically change. Here's the first step of it. It may actually be worse than this, but just so you're prepared, it's going to at least be this bad. Yeah, and I think that's that's smart planning, right? And it's one of those things when you start telling people of your plans, then you've got to answer for your plans. But a lot of it is this is what we think maybe it might be. We're not we're not guaranteeing anything, but we've got to be prepared, but we don't want it to come out of the blue. We don't want to blindside you, but hey, maybe, you know, maybe be prepared for 20% uh, of a crowd this year. Um, I just sort of ask so people can start making plans too. I mean, people, people want to know like, Hey, I come in from X corner of the state or I come in from another state and I want to make plans, which games can actually attend. They did need to like start letting people know which games they could actually go to. And that's one of the things with all this stuff is you have to plan for a lot of stuff that very likely maybe won't happen. But if you don't plan for it, then it's definitely not going to happen because you can't execute this by saying the week of the game, hey, by the way, only only one-fifth of the crowd can get in. You've got to have a plan for it this far out. Uh, from the 614, I sort of asked people what they're curious about. Now, this was a good reaction. Um, this person was basically like, what am I curious about? What are you curious about when you're told your favorite pastime has been eliminated by 70%? What are your thoughts when your date with the most beautiful girl in the world has been reduced to a Skype session over burgers for crying out loud? <laughs> like, I'm saying like, hey, tech subscribers, what do you think? What are you curious about with this stuff? And the idea of like, it stinks. I'm super ticked off. This is awful. Like it's not the end of the it's not the most important thing going on, but what am I curious about? I'm curious about why my favorite thing is going to be completely blown apart. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. I get it. That was a good answer. Um, from the six one four, very strong here. As a season ticket holder, I'm disgusted with how the university uh, first asked that money be donated. I get it. It's a business, always has been, and it should be an option for those interested. But it shouldn't be the first option listed of do you want to donate money when they send out this season ticket thing. And it should not pressure people at a time when so many are out of work, including season ticket holders. A billion-dollar business asking for ticket donations when people are struggling is poor optics. And I lost a lot of respect for Gene Smith and the athletic program today. So that's, Nathan, that's one of the things they're saying. You can opt out basically and, like, get your money back. You can opt out and sort of have them hold your money. Or you can opt out and donate what you normally would have spent on tickets to the athletic department, and then you get, like, some more points. Well, and just – yeah, but let's be – and I'm not taking – before I take a stance either way, I want to make sure that we say – let me find it. I'm going to find the exact wording because it's – if you're – the – crap. I think it goes to the scholarship fund. It's not like it's going to Gene Smith. It's not going to a building. Um, It's going to, I believe, um, we hope you'll consider converting your investment to a fully charitable contribution to help offset the grant and aid costs of our student athletes. So at the end of the day, it's going to what they paid for the athletes to go to school there. It's not 
I mean, it's just. I understand what people are saying. The athletic department running, because they're the athletic department pays the university for the scholarships of the athletes. That's how that works. And so they uh, understand. They're not. No, I'm telling the listeners. I'm not talking to you. I know you know how it works. You know, we have like thousands of people who listen to this every time. It's not just me and you, right? You know. <laughs> oh, wait, we're broadcasting this? <laughs> what? There are times. There are times we were having, like, we were talking about it today. It's like, should we even talk about whether, like, what if you switch quarterbacks with Rutgers? And then, like, Nathan started giving a great answer. And it's like, don't talk for free. Um, save it for the podcast. So that idea that, again, the, the athletic department pays its own university because – when you're a college athlete, like you don't – that's it's funny to think about. You don't go to school for free. It's just that the athletic program pays your tuition to the university, which is right. – it's the same thing, but actually, but it's very much not the same thing, which the athletic department makes the point all the time when it's like, hey, how come Ryan Day makes $5.5 million and a professor makes this much? And it's like, well, it's two different things. The athletic department is its own separate deal with its own separate budget. And then the athletic department loves to brag about when it donates money back to its own school. Hey, the athletic department gave this many millions of dollars to the library fund or whatever. That Ohio State's done that many times over the years. And they're very proud and they want everybody to know about it when the athletic department does that. So it's separate. So when Gene when, – and it's not Gene Smith saying it. When the athletic department, when the people who sent out this email – Gene didn't send out the email, but he's the boss – when they send that out, it is to keep the lights on because somebody's got to pay for the scholarships of the athletes who are still guaranteed whether they play or not and whether the games are played or not and whether any money is brought in by the games or not. Those still have to be paid for. So any donation is just trying to make up for the shortfall that exists in the athletic department, except everybody's on a shortfall right now. I'm not, I'm not disputing what this season ticket holder is saying at all. It's like, dude, yeah, it's tough all around. Quit asking me to give you money for nothing when I'm just trying to keep, you know, I'm trying to keep my own household running. Sorry about your athletic department. So I get that, but that's why they're doing it. Right. Right. And what Ohio state can't say in this email is uh, you have to kind of read between the lines to see it, but when they do have to make some kind of budgetary cuts, they're not going to say we're voluntarily cutting five football scholarships and going from 85 to 80. It's going to be in some other sport where maybe there are no scholarships now for that sport for some period of time. And they just don't have that sport. Right. Or, I mean, and it's one of the, or they take money from this other thing. Right. To pay for the, right. It's just, it's, it's all the same pool. The athletic department has things it has to pay for. And then it has things it wants to pay for. And then, you know, the wants are going to get cut if there are cuts. And there will be cuts. There have to be cuts, at least even if they're only for one year. There's going to be cuts. They can't exist. You can't cut your revenue in, in half or by a third or by two-thirds, whatever it's going to be. And you can't spend the same amount. So, like, Gene has not talked about what the cut – there are going to be cuts, Nathan, right? I mean, that's not, that's not up for dispute. Can they, just, or can they just suck it up, tighten the belt, get a line of credit, and say, well, you know, there's $80 million we didn't make this year, but, but the money going out didn't change at all? They can't live like that, can they? 
Well, I think, it, again, it, we, we still don't know exactly what that cut, what that hit is going to be. Because if you end up playing all these games and there is a postseason and you're getting all the media rights for that and you are getting some attendance, then that's a different hit than if there's no football season at all. Right. There's and a, that's a why. a big gap out there. And, you know, I, I wrote a thing last week, you know, there's time for Ryan Day to pick a, take a pay cut. I think the reason that Gene hasn't committed to anything is because he knows there's going to be a shortfall. He doesn't know how much. Right. So he's not going to commit and he might have the budget. He probably has multiple budgets laid out in front of him with his financial people. It's saying, sure. I mean, if we lose this much money, we cut this. If we lose this much money, we cut this. Yeah. Well, Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez said last week, what was it? They're like, it's like they're expecting 70 to 80 million. And then if, and then if there's no season and then it gets really bad or something like that, like it was, it was already a terrible number. And then if there's no football, then it's just catastrophic. And then he's, he's already talking in, in, like kind of dire tones about what happens to the entire athletic program if there's no football just for this one season. And Gene is very good with us. He's, he, he gives many more interviews than the average big-time athletic director, but he's a little closer to the vest with stuff like that than Barry Alvarez is. Barry Alvarez yes. is just like, oh, well, we're losing a bunch of money. So I get that Gene hasn't talked about that. Uh, this is, I think, one of the most interesting things, and, and I want us to write about this this week one way or another. And again, it's one of those things, and I'm okay with this. I had a conversation with a friend of mine today um, who was just sort of very upset about everything happening in the world and is just like, I don't even want to think about college football. Like, it's why are, why are they trying to play? This is ridiculous. This is crazy. And there are so many more important things going on right now. We're going to look back in a couple months and look back on what people were talking about now and, you know, 20% stadium capacity or, you know, how many games is our team's going to play? And it's, we're going to look ridiculous because it's not going to matter. And I appreciate that viewpoint. And I understand that viewpoint, but I also, I, on the other side of that believe it's okay to care about things that quote, don't matter. I don't think you only have to spend every minute of energy worried about the state of the world because that's exhausting. And it, it's not – I don't think it's pretending that there aren't important things, but I'm okay with talking about how much our ticket price is going to be for the Ohio State-Michigan game because we all know there's a pandemic and that it stinks. And we all know there's a million things going on, but I'm okay, I don't think we have to talk about it 100% of the time. So here's the question for the 513. I'm just worried about getting into the Michigan game without paying thousands. I've been to every home Michigan game since '98. I don't want to break the streak. Ultimately, I will go to the stadium, though, raise a finger, which means scalper, scalper, and pay what I have to. I am fascinated if this comes off, and I want to talk to ticket brokers about this this week. My, what happens when you cut the supply by 80% for a thing that has super high demand? Nathan, I'm fascinated by that idea of what are people going to be paying to get in to Ohio State's best games in a world where there's only 20% of the crowd there. Yeah, I actually started doing some reporting on that, trying to reach out to some people this afternoon. And uh, I think you're right. I think that is going to be some sticker shock as people see what goes on in the secondary market. I mean, and, and I don't know if maybe if Ohio State I mean, there's there's obviously events and teams and whatever that have tried to curb that in the past by saying, like, only the person who bought the ticket 
can use the ticket and you have to like ask to match or whatever. Like I think people have tried to do that in the past and maybe they would try to come up with something like that. So it doesn't become just some sort of insane secondary market. I don't know. But uh, I mean, I think there's both, you know, legitimate and then kind of the under the table ticket brokers are probably have some opinions about that right now because it could get it could be really interesting, but there's also, I mean, that's another person that's, that's also taking a hit here is there's probably, there may, there's just going to be less of those tickets available on the secondary market. Cause a lot of the people who there's going to be a lot of diehards among that 21,000 that really want to go to the games and the number of people who were just ticket brokers who were buying tickets or um, people who are just kind of casual fans who were inclined to sell their tickets. I, I don't know how big a percentage that's going to be. I get, obviously I get ticket brokers and scalping and all that. I do find it on the amateur level to some degree distasteful the idea of like not only i mean there's a gazillion people making money off the players who aren't getting a paycheck for the game but that like hey did you hear the 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 ticket price on the resale market for the amateur athletics event is you know 20 times face value like wow you know who would really enjoy getting 20 times like some of those guys on the football field you know i just some of that bugs me even more than it Far more than it does, you know. Again, if you're if ticket brokers are making money watching millionaires play, then then so be it to some degree. But I, and I do believe, I mean, in a world where it's like, okay, well, how would you get money? I'm not so sure. And this is, I mean, this isn't fair. I don't, I don't know how you do it. And this, and I want real fans to be there. I want fans who can't pay five thousand dollars a ticket to be able to go see the Ohio State Michigan game. That's, I want that to happen. Sometimes I think, I mean, if there is some component of, listen, there's always a lot of tickets on the open market, well, then why doesn't Ohio State just keep all the tickets and sell every ticket in that stadium like they're the ticket broker? Every ticket is a bidding war. There's no there's no such thing as face value. The market sets every ticket, and maybe for the big games you'd make more money, and then you'd have more money to pay the players that you think you can't pay. Like I, I know that's not exactly right, and I know there's they do have instituted tiered ticket pricing, and I'm not trying to price out the regular fan. We love the regular fan, but man, I, I'm not a huge fan of ticket brokers making thousands and thousands of dollars off a game where college athletes are amateurs i don't know i i don't know what the right answer is but it just bugs me a little bit yeah uh, and you know uh you, you remember this with the chicago cubs did this a few years ago where they were tired of the ticket brokers so they um started holding back tickets and then selling them through their own brokerage that wasn't like it wasn't like something they're doing above the table at first like it was something that a journalist found out out and like trade like connected the dots and saw that they were selling them from like out of this shop down the street from wrigley field but that they were the ones it was their tickets um, because that was their way to get around. They were like, well, if, if there's going to be, if people are going to take advantage of this, it should be, we, we should get our taste of it too. Um, I, there's a lot of that stuff that goes on that I, I, I agree with you that I kind of find it distasteful. At, at, but on the other hand, when you have this kind of demand, when 105,000 seats is still not enough to satisfy the demand on a weekly basis for how many people want to be in person and see a team, then those that secondary market does allow more people access to the tickets in, I guess you can say. 
No, I agree. Uh, but but also, I mean, again, the, the average fan, I wish every average fan listening to this and every average fan out there, and I'm an average fan, you're an average fan, all of us, I mean, I wish everybody got to see an Ohio State-Michigan game in person at least once in their life. You know, I wish everybody got, sure. to, got to be in Ohio Stadium at least once a year. Um, but part of the issue is if you're really an average fan, okay, well, if the, if the tickets are on the secondary market, but they're 10 times face value, well, you can't get them either. You theoretically have access to them, but you right. can't afford them. And so, like, what's, what's the point? I mean, I can't – I theoretically have access to a Ferrari, but I can't get one. Right. So thank you for the theoretical access. Uh, great, some great emails here. And I, I, I hope we're all doing this. I try to do it. I, tr- I really try to do it every day. I hope you guys are doing it at home from the 614. More generally, this year has taught all of us to be more appreciative of what we have. It has forced us to remain mindful about the sacrifices that must be made to protect those most vulnerable in our communities. In that vein, I will be appreciative if we have football at all. And if that means sacrificing some aspects of the Ohio State game day experience, I am more than fine with that. That's from the 614. Another one from the 614. As much as I love the tradition and amazing game day experience, having a season is all that matters at this point. Heck, I would wear a face shield hazmat suit and eat Mentos while gargling Pepsi if I needed to just to be able to watch a game live this year. I can also see most of the fans not listening to the no tailgating part of the mandate. So I could see that causing some issues come midseason. That's just my three cents signed bake from the 803's little brother. Um, so I, I'm, I get it. Like I get, I get all this. And this is a real, this is, this is a real thing here too. And, and, and for, for those of us who, um, Went to college and had chances to go to football games while we were at college. I mean, what what is one of the great places to make memories? This is real life from the 734. How do students play into the allocation of tickets? My son, Andrew, is a junior at Ohio State, also a tech subscriber, by the way. All right, two in the family. And I wonder if he will have a shot at going to any games. With such limited capacity and with such high demand, it seems like they could sell tickets for a super premium if they wanted to and that students would be left out of the equation. But it also seems like they would want students in the stands. Of course, how do you keep students socially distancing in any meaningful way during the game? So, I, I mean, that's all, all correct. And now, now talking about Skull Session, I want to talk about Skull Session a little bit. As for Skull Session, I always love going. It was a tradition on the rare occasions I went to a game in recent years. My dad had season tickets when I was growing up, so I went to a lot of games and always went to Skull Session before the game. It's the best way to get ready for the games, in my opinion. It will be missed, but it makes sense that they would cancel it. Nathan, how much have you absorbed Skull Session in your year on the beat so far? So I I think Skull Session is pretty fun as an attendee. It's not my favorite part of game day just because I usually have to end up doing something with it as far as a piece of content. So it's more work for me on a, at a time when things are already kind of hectic and I have a lot of things I'm trying to do anyway. So I'm not, I'm not the hugest fan. I'm, I'm not going to miss it this fall, but I think it's too bad that it's not going to be there. If that makes sense. The time that LeBron James spoke at skull session, I was trying to chase him down the sidewalk and film him. And I stepped in a hole and twisted my ankle so much that I had to wear an ankle brace the rest of the season. Anyway, from the six, yeah. 
614, to me, the best thing about Ohio State football or college football in general is the sense of community and belonging to that group. If that is removed, whether it be in the stadium, tailgate, bars, living rooms, et cetera, it's just football. That it, it is. It's, it's a game, but it's not the experience. I'm not a season ticket holder, but if I can't go to skull session with my dad and tailgate with my buddies that I've known since college but only see once a year on a football Saturday, then it just doesn't mean that much to me. That's real talk. That is real talk that, you know, the game is important. And I do think it's worth – it's two things you're trying to save. You're trying to save the TV event, and then if a couple people can be there live, great. But I think, obviously, the ship has sailed on the experience from the 312. What I'll miss most about this year is tailgating. I live in Chicago and come back to at least two home games a year. And the early morning tailgate is the best part. It's the only time all year that I see so many family and friends that still live in central Ohio. It's an excuse to congregate and catch up. And the best part of Ohio State football for me, it maintains friendships. I'm hoping that some other Big Ten schools on the schedule still allow it. And in Indiana, for instance, the pregame tailgate spot is in a large park across the street from the stadium with a ton of room to socially distance. Same thing with Purdue and Michigan on the golf courses. Maybe those are still opportunities to get together. Real talk, real talk. We know what's at stake. And there's, I mean, uh, college football tailgating is one of these things. We know we've all lost things like that over the past couple months. But um, I don't think there's anybody, I don't know that anybody would dispute what Ohio State announced today. I don't think anybody was surprised by it, but we all know what's lost. We all know what's lost because the game's important, but, just as important as everything that goes on around that. So we, I think we've lost one thing and we're trying to save the other. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to, I am going to be interested to see how they enforce some of those things. Like are you actually are the, because it's, it's Ohio state that's saying this, not the city of Columbus or anything. So, I mean, are, is there a police force that's going to be trying to enforce whether people are tailgating or not? And then, but then on the other hand, it's like, yeah, it's good to have fans in the stands, because you're right, I think you do, like, it, it's creating those memories or whatever, but, like, it's not the same memory when, like, your buddy has to sit three f- seats away on either side of you, the two friends you come to the game with, and that girl that you want to talk with is, like, in another section now, and you can't go over there, and it's, like, I, it really compromises, I think, what, th- that memory making a little bit. Can we squeeze in a rapid fire question that I didn't prepare you for, but that's been sitting in the uh, question hole for a while? Uh, non-football related before we get back to my team that I think maybe could beat Ohio State's from our guy Greg C74. Where do I go for the best tacos in Columbus? Seems like a Nathan Baird kind of question. Have you discovered uh, some secret taco place in your Walking around uh, the city. I don't so know if far? they're secret. I'm still I'm still learning things on a, a first name basis. Um, oh, what is the name of the place? You may have to edit this out while I look. <laughs> well, I will if you're say, giving me if you give me a heads up, I would have had I would have been prepared. Yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't prepare you for that one. I will say I, I don't know. I think it started in Cleveland, right? Condado Tacos, which is now in Columbus, and I think is in other places. Uh, it's the place, yeah. and I've talked about this before, where you you I it's hard for me to go to a taco place now. Not hard. I don't get tacos. How do I say this? There's a difference. Is there not a difference between there's a a somewhat significant distinction between a taco place and a Mexican restaurant? Because when I'm at a Mexican restaurant, I I don't usually get tacos. I get tamales. I get flautas. I get the combination platter that has a bunch of stuff on it. Right. 
But I do like a taco place, and but I'm so used to it now. Condado has it. I think other places have it, where they give you the sheet, and you get to fill out the sheet of what you want on the taco. It feels weird to me now to eat a taco where I didn't get to fill out like a piece of homework explaining what I wanted on it. Yeah, I, I so that's the thing. Like I'll eat at Condado. I don't dislike Condado, but I don't ever refer to it as Mexican food. It's tacos. It's like when my mom would make tacos. My mom would grew up in Kentucky and central Illinois and is the least Mexican person on the planet, basically, other than the fact that she's from North America. I mean, like, uh, it's, it's not Mexican food. It's fine, but it's not Mexican food. If you want really good tacos, like I think of like an actual taqueria, like authentic taquerias or, or places like that. So uh, there's a place called Coseca Cocina that we've been to. That's really good. Um, that we really like. There's a place called Cazuelas. I think there's a few of those. And there's one right here in the short north that we've gone to a couple times. Um, there's one called El Vaquero that was really good. Um, kind of on the kind of northwest of here. There's multiple we El Vaqueros. Yeah. yeah. Um, was that the one? Is, there, is that like a taco truck? There's one that we went to that was kind of a, that was like a taco truck that was really good. Um, there's actually, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot in, 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 um, in the greater Columbus area from what I've been able to figure out. Um, and we're going to be moving soon, so we have to learn a whole other part of the city. But um, looking forward to it. You are officially – when are you moving? Well, um, supposedly we're closing middle of August. Wow. Nice. All right. So uh, tech subscriber meetup at Nathan's. Um, <laughs> I'll be a Berwick resident. We'll have a Berwick bureau. Nice. Uh, second part of Greg's C74's question – actually, it's three parts, but we're only going to do two. If you had to switch careers – full-on switch to something not media-related, what would you do? Um, I I can't remember. It's like I would tell a story about this, but now I can't remember the full story. But Dan Wetzel, who I think is arguably the best sports writer in America at Yahoo Sports, um, he went to college. Two of his good friends were guys that I worked with at my first job in Indiana. And so Dan would come to visit sometimes, and I, I got to know him just a tiny bit there. He's a good guy, but he's a tremendous writer. And I know that his friends like to tell a story of, uh, I think, one time on a job interview. And I can't remember what the job was, but he got asked a question like this. And his answer was so unique and interesting and sort of unrelated to writing words that it really impressed the person that uh, – that he was being interviewed by. And so I always think about that because I have no skills. <laughs> so when Greg C74 says something not media related, I have no skills. So I can't even fathom because it's like I'd work at Disney World and write their newsletter. That's it. I don't, there's not, the only thing is, I'm a decent waiter, and I did work at a fancy restaurant when I was in college, high school and college, mostly in college. Started as a busboy, kind of worked my way up. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to talk to people. I can carry moderately heavy stuff and balance it on my hand. Um, but I was like a big, sweaty, like 20-year-old guy in a, like a bad bow tie and a vest with my gut hanging out under my vest, just sweating bullets on, on top of people. Um, and I was, uh, I was not, um, I worked at a very fancy hotel and I am not a very fancy person, but I think I might be able to pull it together enough to make a career as a waiter. But other than that, 
I have no skills. Do you have skills that would apply to another career, Nathan Bear? None. none. Um, my parents were both school teachers, and when I was coming up, like through high school, I was kind of trying to decide whether I thought I might go be a teacher and like maybe try to coach baseball or go do this. And I think it was because my parents were teachers and I'd been going to school at that point for 12 years or whatever. And I think it was just so like becoming a sports writer still seemed like this thing. Like, can you really do that for a career? Can you really like, is that a thing that people can do? Cause like you're just, there seemed to be like so many teachers, but like the people who actually were sports writers, even in a small town were like kind of like at arm's length, like they weren't really like real to you. So I think that's probably ultimately why I went in that direction. So I would probably be a teacher because either that or then when I went to college um, and did like creative writing classes and stuff like that, I really loved doing like writing workshops and stuff. And I even thought at one point about um, going back and getting an MFA and maybe just in doing that and like dumping out of this career at some point. Um, but I stuck with it. Yeah. Words, man. Thank goodness for words. For writing them or talking them or ugh. But I'd probably be like a history teacher, maybe not even an English teacher, probably a history teacher. Yeah. Which in some ways is actually more connected to journalism than English. That's true. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to, you know what? Let's take a break. And then we're going to come back and I'll give you the team, the last team that I think maybe could beat Ohio State if you gave them Justin Fields and took their quarterback. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right. Back with our big Wednesday podcast. Uh, if you want to drop some review, reviews, we've had some nice reviews lately for Buckeye Talk. If you want to read Cleveland.com, all the Ohio State stuff, you do the little backslash. That's at Cleveland.com backslash OSU, and it takes you right to the Ohio State stuff. If you want to listen, we have so many podcasts now. We're really, really leaning into the podcasts. Indians podcasts, Cavs, Browns. News. If you ever want to listen to our other Ohio State po- or our other Cleveland.com podcasts, and like you're not familiar with them, you can go to Cleveland.com/slash/podcasts, and you can look. Ours are in there, but everybody else's are in there too. So they're doing some really. Again, the state government. We had Seth Richardson on last week. Um, whew, state government in Ohio is a mess right now um, with some of the things that are going on. So you know, there's some really good news talk going on there beyond the sports talk. So. Uh, thanks for everything you guys are doing for us. We're, we're trying to figure it out. We have a, we, uh, we have a lot of thinking to do. And I keep saying this cause we're really doing some thinking. We're, we're treading water a little bit, trying to figure out what's going to happen. Um, but th- we're going to get some answers soon. And then once we have a clearer view, we're going to take off like a rocket. Here's my last team. Nathan, what do you think it is? If you had to guess what's my team that I've been teasing all podcast. Uh, Iowa. Nah, I'm mad at Iowa. Adam Rittenberg and Michelle Steele at ESPN wrote a really good story this week, kind of adding on to the situation of what's been going on and what the uh, black players at Iowa have said it's been like in the last decade or so under Chris Doyle, the strength coach who has now been ushered out of the Iowa football program and Kirk Ferentz, who is still there. Um, No, not Iowa. Wisconsin. On Wisconsin. Because the whole thing is they have everything except the quarterback. So it's like, what if you gave their great offensive line and their great running back and their decent, good, pretty good defense? Everyone thinks Jim Leonard is a great defensive coordinator. What if you gave him a quarterback? And as I said earlier, we saw what happened. Russell Wilson was there for a year. And every other quarterback since I've covered college football 
Did you know this? Every Wisconsin starting quarterback, actually even going back to 2000, every guy, his first name was Bruce. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I, I, you said this earlier. It reminded me. We were watching um, – this is a long tangent, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's what we do on Buckeye Talk. We uh, So there's a new installment of Unsolved Mysteries that's on Netflix. People yeah, who are people young like enough, it. People yeah, like people, it. Yeah. The people who are young enough probably maybe don't remember the, the classic Unsolved Mysteries from like the 90s. Um, and I was showing my wife some episodes of the old because the new one is like one topic per episode, and it's long, drawn out. It's really good. But the old one was like four things per episode and it bounced all over the place and it was all this cheesy 90s stuff and we watched one the other night that was about this theory that this uh nazi uh commander rudolf hess um who had was who flew into england and got captured during world war ii that it was an imposter that had flown in and it wasn't actually him and that this guy that this imposter of his just like spent his life in prison in silence, not admitting that he was Rudolph Hess. And I kind of wonder if at some point there has just been this one guy installed as the quarterback at Wisconsin and is just like going with the motions and, and not giving up his true identity. Yeah. Or there's like some kind of cloning thing happening underneath uh, the stadium, you know, where it's like, it's like they clone another quarterback and they're like, all right, let's call this one, Chad. I don't know. Let's call this one, Gary. All right. So, Going back to 2000, Brooks Bollinger, I was going to make the Bruce joke. I'm not going to call everybody Bruce. Brooks Bollinger was a starter for three years. Jim Sorgi for a year. John Stocko for three years. Some guy named Donovan. Some guy named Shear. Scott Tolzien for two years. Joel Stave, you guys remember him, for four years. Alex Hornerbrook for three years. They're on Jack Cohn now, year two of Jack Cohn. And the one thing we have talked about on a previous podcast here, because, again, Buckeye Talk overlaps t-shirt slogan Buckeye Talk overlaps we talked about what if J.J. McCarthy is awesome at Michigan we talked about what if Graham Mertz is awesome at Wisconsin I think it feels like if you gave Wisconsin an awesome quarterback it would change them and in 2011 Russell Wilson dropped from the sky just like our wizard would drop Justin Fields from the sky for one year as a transfer from North Carolina State Went 225 out of 309 attempts, 73% completions, 33 touchdowns, four interceptions. In 2010, Wisconsin averaged 199 passing yards per game. In 2012, they averaged 157 passing yards per game. With Russell Wilson, they averaged 234. Uh, in 2011, with Russell Wilson, they averaged 470 yards of total offense per game. The next year after he left, they averaged 393. They dropped off by 70 yards per game. Russell Wilson, Wisconsin got up to number four in the country that year. They started 6-0, and I think, before they lost to Ohio State on the Braxton Miller to Devin Smith. No, is that the first one? No, that was the second one. Hold on a second. I've got it right here. Did they lose to Michigan State first, or did they lose to Ohio State first? In oh, well, they were 6-2 and two after that game. Okay. Constant. This is what they did. They were 6-0. and oh, They were number four. They lost to Michigan State on an actual Hail Mary, a 44-yard pass on the last play of the game from Kirk Cousins that the guy caught, like, on a tip ball, like, at the one-yard line and then muscled in, and they had to review it for, like, five minutes before they called it a touchdown. An actual Hail Mary. And then the next week they lost to Ohio State on the Braxton Miller to Devin Smith pass that was 40 yards with 20 seconds left. 
and then their only other loss was in the Rose Bowl. So Wisconsin has been good. Wisconsin has been very good. But when you dropped Russell Wilson in, their offense was like 70 yards per game better. They threw between – they were like 60 to 70 yards better in passing offense, at least 40 yards better in passing offense. 33 to 4 was his touchdown to interception ratio. And the only way they got beat in the regular season was on two miracle plays. Take the miracle plays away, and Russell Wilson's playing for a national championship. And when you have Russell Wilson, you've got a chance to win a national championship. So that's what Russell Wilson did for Wisconsin. Wisconsin's always good. But when you dropped in Russell Wilson, something different happened. And I think if you put Jack Cohn on Ohio State, he'd be fine. But I think if you put Russell, if you put Russell Fields, if you put Justin Fields on Wisconsin with all the good coaching, Jim Leonard, really good defensive coordinator. Everybody loves him. They always have some good defensive players. Offensive line's always good. Running back, always good. And now you add Justin Fields, man, that's all they need. And they would have to open it up enough to take advantage of him. But as we saw, you know, Wisconsin quarterbacks, all the guys named Bruce, they throw like 17 touchdowns a year. Russell Wilson threw 33. So you got to lean into it. You got to let Justin Fields do his thing. But I think Wisconsin and Paul Chris probably would do that. And I think, I think it could be the difference maker. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think I think there's a strong argument for it. I think what probably ultimately stopped me from voting that way is that I I I didn't feel that I, I thought Minnesota would still win if you made that switch, but Minnesota does have a better quarterback. Or I thought Ohio State would still win because Minnesota has a better quarterback. Yeah, I think it actually I think it's more plausible than than the Minnesota one. I think there's a there's a better chance that Wisconsin would win. Um, I think you might be right. Because they've been this good for this long with quarterbacks who were only ever average, who were right. only ever game managers. I mean, none of those guys have ever done anything. Jim Sorgi, as we sort of joked about, was a longtime backup in the NFL. But these are not guys who have gone on and done anything. Scott Tolzien was a backup for a little bit. But they're just handing off and making a throw every now and then. When you, if you inject a game-changing playmaking quarterback, who knows what would happen there? But I guess that's the about question. Mertz. That's why I'm curious that, about Graham Mertz. And that is, yeah, I was going to bring him up too. Is like, if are we talking Jack Cohn? Are we talking Graham Mertz? Because that maybe does that change the equation at all when you're flipping the quarterback to the other team? Because that was the other thing we didn't really talk about through this whole thing when you first brought this up was like, well, would we even take the quarterback that the other team has, or would you still just use one of Ohio State's backups to play against Justin Fields? with that other team. Um, and this is another question. Like, would you take Jack Cohn or would you say, no, you guys can keep him. We want Mertz instead. Or, or would you just say, we're good. We'll play CJ Stroud. Right. Yeah, Which is right. That a lot of these guys, and that's the other thing too. And I think that almost makes it easier for Ohio state because again, it's like, well, okay. They took out Braxton Miller and they just put in JT Barrett. And he was, you didn't think he was going to have to play that young, but it turned out he could handle it. You know, we've talked a lot about the future of quarterbacking here, and nobody would plan on them to play. But, it, you know, it might not happen week one, just like it didn't happen right away for JT Barrett when Ohio State lost in week two to Virginia Tech in 2014. But whether it was Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud, you'd think they'd probably figure it out well enough yeah. by a couple games in, and then they'd go on and win a lot of games. And yeah. they'd get smarter. They'd get more comfortable. They'd read defenses better. They'd get more accurate. They would improve as they went. And by the end of the year, like they'd, 
they started six or seven games, they'd probably be pretty good because that's the plan for them when they actually are supposed to start in 2021. So that I almost think it makes it – that's almost like a cop-out because as we said that – because if we did it a year ago when Ohio State didn't have a real – a backup quarterback that you would have had as much confidence in, you probably would have taken most of the starters that you could have got back in return from whoever you're swapping with, right? But at this point, it's like there are some teams on here. It's like, yeah, you'd take Tanner Morgan for sure. You'd probably take Sean Clifford, right? But at some point, you're like, you know what? We really think C.J. Stroud's going to be something special. We'll just put him in a year early. And now you're playing C.J. Stroud versus Justin Fields. I think it's more difficult when you sort of make Ohio State. It's a more interesting question when you make Ohio State take the opposing quarterback. So in the end, we talked about this off the jump, Nathan. And now that we've worked all our way through it, do you want to put a percentage on how, you know, of the hundred percent of the things that go that factor into Ohio state's national title chase in 2020? Like what percent of that is Justin Fields as we've talked all this out and we've talked about, you know what, there's at least two or three or four teams in the big 10 that we think if you switch quarterbacks, they might beat Ohio state. Well, it seems like we've also over the course of these weeks and months come to consensus that, if your defense isn't great, that might be okay if your offense is good enough. So right away, a lesser percentage goes to the defense out of that 100%. And then your quarterback, I think, is the most important part of the offense. So I don't know, like 35% for Justin I, Fields? I think that's a really good number. I think about a third of it in that range. And then, you know, you're sprinkling – man, we can do this. Who knows? This might be a good podcast. We could take our – everybody take your 100%, however you want to sprinkle it. How much you want to sprinkle on Justin Fields, how much you give to Ryan Day, how much you give to Kerry Combs, how much you give to Zach Harrison, how much you give to Sean Wade, how much you give to Wyatt Davis. How do you assign it? What percent is this? And there's some guys who would be 0% because you know what? If you lost that guy and you replaced him with somebody else, the, the difference wouldn't that be big, that wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? But, man, I just think I think about a third of it to Justin Fields off the top of our heads having had this discussion feels about right to me. We had talked about some of the national teams – I think that's a little less interesting. It's like, what if you switched them with the Oklahoma quarterback or the Alabama quarterback? I mean, Alabama's good enough defensively, I think. I don't know. It's it's almost like I feel like there are fewer teams on the national scene that I think would beat Ohio State if you flip the quarterbacks because most of those teams already have pretty good quarterbacks, right? And that you'd be getting back, whether you're getting back Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma or you're getting back the guy from Oregon that everybody thinks is going to be okay, or you're getting back Jamie Newman, the Wake Forest transfer, who's probably going to start at Georgia, obviously Trevor Lawrence, even Mac Jones. You know, it's like these guys are starting starting quarterbacks at national title contenders. So while on some level it seems weirder to say, well, why would you say that maybe Indiana could beat Ohio State if you gave him Justin Fields? but you wouldn't say the same thing about Oklahoma, but that's part of it, right? That for the most part, everybody else who's contending with Ohio state already has kind of a Justin Fields, don't they? Right. But that's, but I actually was finding more that I would vote to say that the opponent would win than Ohio state would win in those cases, because they already have really good quarterbacks, but they also are, way better across the field than all these other teams that we're talking about from the Big Ten. I mean, Alabama is heads and tails, except maybe for Penn State, heads and tails above everybody else in the Big Ten. Um, 
Oregon, Clemson, like I think all those programs are better than the average Big Ten team we were talking about, usually by a power of 10, like a, a significant amount. So I think if you flipped Clemson, I don't know. The Clemson Ohio State game might just be a tie. I don't know. Like I think that would, I don't know how big of a difference it would make. Um, but I thought I picked Alabama, I picked Oregon, and I was thinking about LSU. If you put Justin Fields on those teams and gave Ohio State that other team's quarterback. And what about Georgia? Because that's the one that they actually could have, Justin Fields. Oh, right. I totally their cards forgot. a little different. I actually forgot about Georgia. I, I did pick Ohio State to still beat Oklahoma. Um, with Georgia, I – it's a great question because Georgia's so – Georgia's pretty strong defensively. I mean – I mean, uh, Georgia has a lot of talent. And, again, it's one of those I'd things that – I'd probably pick Georgia. If we're gaming it out, it's like, okay, I mean, the idea of like, all right, Justin Fields stayed at Georgia. Ryan Day needed a transfer quarterback. He persuaded Jalen Hurts to come to Ohio State, got Lincoln, beat out Lincoln Riley for that. Jalen Hurts was only here for a year. They still didn't have a veteran guy they believed in. So now Ryan Day went and got Jamie Newman from Wake Forest. And so now Georgia, who is actually going to play Jamie Newman, Georgia's playing Justin Fields. Ohio State's playing Jamie Newman. There's an alternate universe where that's possible. Yeah. And if I mean, it's who my number's probably, yeah, my number's probably maybe even too low, right? Maybe that 35% is too low. Maybe it's even higher. If you're talking about winning a national championship, especially with this team where there's going to be some step back on defense, not necessarily a huge one, not a, they're not cratering on defense, but they're not going to be as good on defense as they were last year, I don't think, collectively. So that puts even more responsibility, more production, more, um, the, the outcome of each game rides even more on Justin Fields' shoulders. It's, it might be more than 35%. And it is hard. It's just like, again, it's like, why do I think, like, Wisconsin with, with Justin Fields would beat Ohio State, but I'm not talking about Georgia and Alabama as much? It's like, well, okay, I guess Mac Jones and Jamie Newman and Spencer Rattler and, and you know, the guys you'd throw out from other teams, the Oregon guy, are just – they're better enough than Jack Cohn that I think those quarterbacks would take advantage of the talent – that Ohio State has in other ways and would be able to still ride that a little bit. But it's complicated. I mean, it's a, it's really a whole different question, right? I mean, it's quite a different yeah. question than if you're trying to figure out if you gave Justin Fields to Indiana, could Indiana beat Ohio State? So, um, did, you, uh, did you make a note of which Big Ten teams you would take Ohio State's backups over their starting quarterback? No, like that second thing of like if you said, okay, Rutgers, yeah. you get Justin Fields, but we don't need anybody. You keep your guys. Or Maryland, right. keep your guys. Or Illinois, we're good on Brandon Peters. You keep him. You get Justin Fields, we're good. We'll just play C.J. Stroud. Um, I, I think uh, I think Ohio State would be better off with Peters just because of his experience. I think in this case, this one year, if you're doing it, the, the Wizard snaps his wand today and they had to go play in two weeks or whatever, I think you'd take Peters over Ohio State's backups, but I but Rutgers, Maryland, Purdue, as I already said, and then Michigan State. We don't know for sure who's going to start for them. It's probably Rocky Lombardi, um, who I, I would pick to. Stroud, I would I pick him to front my Nelson cover band, but not not quarterback my football team. What's the one they sing? What's the big Nelson? Um, I can't live without your love and something. I can't live without your love and affection. Yep, yeah, that one. I can't make another night on my own. Man, I wish I was in a band. Nobody else wishes that, though. All right. 
I, I don't know. I did, did did we inform anyone about quarterback importance with this discussion, Nathan? Or did we just muddy the waters? Oh, I I don't know. <laughs> that's a, that's I'm gonna put that in the ears of the beholder. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think there might be people it's one of those things. It's like who do you if you're like, no way, Ohio State would Bill would still beat them, then it's sort of like, well, you're slighting Justin Fields. And if you're like, oh, man, if you gave him Justin Fields, they would definitely beat Ohio State. It's like, well, you're slighting the other 84 guys on the Ohio State roster. It's kind of a – it's a natural conflict for Ohio State fans to even think about. But um, Justin Fields, in the end, I think something that we've proven beyond a doubt, Nathan Baird, is that Justin Fields is very good and very important. I'm glad somebody finally had the, the guts to step up and say that. I, I mean, I don't care. Nathan. You heard it here first on Buckeye Talk. No holds barred. <laughs> Justin Fields is good at football. Yes. Nobody uh, else is going to tell you that. Nobody else is going to tell you that. And that's why we charge you $3.99 a month for that kind of brutal honesty. <laughs> and I think finally, after the long search, we finally have found our T-shirt slogan. Uh, Justin Fields is good at football. Buckeye Talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, we think we'll drop a rapid fire in here this week. We think. We got to get it out to the texters and see what they've got for us. We think we will have the Friday podcast with the our discussion of the tally from the Cleveland.com officially unofficial Big Ten preseason poll uh, that we are starting to get responses on, um, and we'll see how that goes. It's a little bit short notice, but I was looking back. I mean, again, this is the tenth year we've done it. I just. I, I'm always giving people short notice. Every time I send them an email, I was like, hey, everybody, sorry for the short notice, but vote in the next 12 hours. So uh, those are starting to roll in, so we'll have something to talk about, and then uh, and then we'll see what happens with college football. So thanks to you guys for making Buckeye Talk part of your day. Thank you for those those of you who subscribed, who subscribed to the texts at 614-350-3315. Thanks to everyone who drops. The reviews on Apple Podcasts, I saw one that was uh, – the last one was like I'd give them 10 stars if I could because they like the fact that we just talk a lot. I'm just kidding. I mean they like the fact that we're doing five or even six podcasts a week because we dropped the bonus one last week. Um, and we, uh, we've we been talking with our bosses like it's going to be hard to do five podcasts a week if there's a football season and there are games to cover. But uh, the powers that be sure would like us to do five a week. So I don't think we're going anywhere. We'll find a way. I think we'll go shorter. We will go shorter. And everybody kind of thinks we should go. Secretly, they kind of think we should go shorter anyway. Like the bosses don't listen all the way through. So it's okay if I say this now. They think we talk too much. And by we, I mean me. Right, Nathan? I mean, you secretly think it. The only person who thinks that we are an appropriate length for a podcast is me. Yeah, I mean, there's probably some listener out there who who – who wants to hear you that much, but I don't think I would be that person if I were not contractually required to do this. I, I want to do something where I put something at the end of podcasts and not right at the end. So you could like fast forward to the end and just listen for it. But like in the last 20%, just drop it in there somewhere where there's like a secret word. And then I do like 20 secret words and you have to listen to all of them and like put them together to make the secret sentence and it's a test to see who actually listens to all of this stuff. And uh, I would be curious, but then I would have to come up with the prize if I were to do that. But I'm just curious to see like who actually gets to the end of every Buckeye talk. My goodness. If you do do it, we, we, 
just send us a message. We'll give you just a big socially distanced hug right now. Uh, all right. Stephen Means remains off. Nathan and I will keep doing this. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. On behalf of Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>